You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Cow Corner. Uh, this week we're taking an in-depth look at the New Zealand and Pakistan test series, uh, the two tests that happened uh, in New Zealand a few weeks ago. Um, plenty has come out of it, so we thought we'd spend a little bit of time today chatting about that, uh, amongst some other news in cricket. Um, this week I'm joined by Glenn over in Wyoming. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Enjoying a lot of great cricket this week, so excited to talk about it. And for the first time since the Bob Willis trophy special that we did, gosh, a lifetime ago now, uh, our Southern correspondent, Tim, how have you been? I've been good. It's taken me that long since the last podcast to recover. I'm just about able to face cricket again now. (laughs) Excellent. No tears today, Tim. We're not chatting about Somerset. So we'll look forward to that. Um, And we'll look forward to reviewing this um, this series. But firstly, let's catch you up on some news. Uh, England are out in Sri Lanka. No more positive coronavirus tests. Very happy to report. Uh, Chris Wokes is out of his quarantine. Mohamed Ali isn't yet, so I think he's pretty much guaranteed to be unavailable for the first test. Uh, an intra-squad game's taken place. Um, just the two days, just a couple of highlights from that. Joe Root looks in good nick. Uh, 74, uh, not out from him. Uh, Dan Lawrence with 46 as well, looking good. And Zach Crawley with 46. So a few of the batsmen looking in good nick. Um, then came Jimmy Anderson, who thought it'd be fun to get Josh Butler out for a golden duck on a on a green seamer over there in Sri Lanka. We, we don't see that too often, just to ruin his confidence. And Johnny Bairstone making five off seven, again, done by Anderson. Um, Ollie Pope's back and fit, though, which is great. Uh, 58 not out from him. And uh, Dom simply got two goes in the team Butler first innings. So he came in, he opened, got one off three, and then he came in at seven uh, and is not out 18. So I, I don't know I don't know what to think about that, really. But they gave old Sibbers two goes, which is nice. Um, so that test starts on the 14th and a couple of our bats and looking a good nick, which is fun. Um, let's have a quick update on the Australia India test going on as we speak. We're at the end of day three on the day of recording here on the 9th. Um, Australia in the driver's seat a little bit. We were just chatting off air then about the injuries that India have faced, uh, Jadeja and Pant, uh, both taking some heavy knocks. And it, it's looking like um, Australia might win that third test. But let's quickly talk about the fourth test 
which may might not happen at all. Um, some issues with coronavirus, of course, they're, they're going to come up uh, in the world we're in at the minute. The captains have spoken from from India and Australia. Payne saying his team's happy to play anywhere, anytime. Of course, he'd say that. Um, Rahani being a little bit more conservative in his um, responses to these kind of questions about the Brisbane test. Tim, do you know anything more about this? Can you enlighten our listeners on, on why this test might not take place? And do you think India will boycott it and, and go home? Yeah, it's hard to say. The The reason they're giving is that they're concerned that with the, the timing of the Brisbane test and the coronavirus situation, that they're worried that they'll end up with several players potentially in quarantine when they return to India, which would then put them out potentially of first test against England. And that's the way they're framing it at the moment. The Australian media are just saying, ah, oh, they just don't want to go to Brisbane. They're scared about facing up to a fast bowling track. So it's an interesting one. Um, hard to say what exactly will happen. I, I, I would kind of think that the fourth test will be played. It just might not be in Brisbane, potentially. Yeah, I think that would be the best kind of compromise to get this series over the line. And, you know, regardless of the result in the third test, um, whether Australia or India win it, that fourth test to either draw the series or to win it for India will still be up for grabs to to retain the series trophy. So let's hope that goes ahead. That's developing all the time. So do keep an eye on that um, on your cricketing socials and some other news. um, It looks like Ireland might host some T20s and some other games in the UK this year. Glenn, um, you've been reading up on this. Um, why might this happen and, and what might it look like with Ireland playing in the UK? Um, yeah, so this is quite an interesting situation. So um, Ireland have got a really busy home schedule in 2021. 16 limited over fixtures uh, are due to be played. Um, but interestingly, they're unable to use one of their four home venues because it's being relayed. The square's being relayed, which isn't something you hear about <laughs> every day. And you'd imagine they would have planned so it was relayed perhaps in January and they could use it in the summer. Um, however, that isn't the case. And yet, as a, as a result of this, they may be playing um, one of the one of the um, ties, uh, one or two of them against Pakistan in England, which, you know, hopefully, um, if a few of us are in the UK, then I mean, that's a fixture I would love to attend. Um, be really interesting to watch. But Reading into the story, an excellent piece by Matt Roller um, for ESPN, um, talking about this fixture through the lens of um, limited test um, fixtures for smaller test playing nations as well. So since Ireland became an official test playing nation three and a half years ago, they've only played three test matches, which is extremely disappointing. And Tim and I were actually at the last game, which was July 2019 um, at Lords. So, you know, I think it's it's really important, you know, to grow test cricket. We all, we all know about the importance of test cricket's longevity. But, you know, we're talking about this test championship, which is fantastic. It's a good way to reframe the game. But I still feel like the smaller nations, Afghanistan, Ireland, Zimbabwe, are still inherently excluded from this. And you get a catch-22 whereby, you know, they're not particularly good at playing test nations, you know, not particularly good at playing test cricket because they don't get very many opportunities. So I think it's really frustrating. And, um, you know, the the captain, the captain of Ireland, um, Andy Balburney, expressed his frustration at this. And, you know, he's saying that I want to I want to play more test cricket, but there's just not the opportunities. And to the island team, um, in respect to them, they said that it's very expensive to host home tests. So, a good way of perhaps balancing this would be if, you know, say Sri Lanka are touring England, if at the start or end of that tour, they could hop over to Ireland for one game. Everyone should be happy. Obviously, whether this is financially viable is another thing. But I think it's just something, again, maybe for another pod, just to talk about 
the difficulties and barriers facing these smaller cricketing nations because it's incredibly frustrating and I want to see Ireland play test cricket more than once a year um, and if Pakistan can come over um, and obviously play one day cricket let's get them playing a test as well. Great point Glenn and it was a great story and we'll be sure to link it um, in the tweet for this episode as yeah. well and I think um, the fact that the last test was 2019 that very hot day in summer 2019 I remember it fondly um, it's just it's not great really is it for cricket in the game and as you said so rightly Glenn and I think bookending it on is a perfect solution I think we as England I say we we're all English and, and the ECB do owe Ireland one a little bit for um, the ODIs that, that we played in the summer of 2020 which is um, obviously huge for ECB's TV deal so hopefully something could be worked out there I think yeah something for another pod uh, a later date for sure uh, and finally on the news, Tim, enlighten us on the upset index. And this is, again, a great story we'll, we'll link um, in the Twitter feed. Uh, the upset index. Some guys had a really busy lockdown, hasn't he, Tim? And just enlighten <laughs> us this a little bit. Yeah, so what he's done is he's um, he said the, the article's on uh, Quick In. If want to, everyone wants to check it out with all the information. But he said he, he was having disagreements with friends about which was the biggest upset. And he said, well, what I need to do is actually I'm going to go through, I'm going to rate every upset that there's ever been in cricket and I'm going to use about 10 parameters, team strength, weather, relative strength, recent form, and he's been through all of them. And he's come up with what he sees as the definitive list based on this. And Pakistan are involved, so it's linked to the uh, current series because Pakistan, Bangladesh at Northampton in the World Cup in 1999 is rated as the biggest one-day international upset of all time using his index in the rating of 64.5. Um, and I'm just, I was there on the day and it wasn't upset. It was a fantastic atmosphere. It was uh, loads of Bangladeshi fans, loads of Pakistani fans. And to be honest, there was um, not many actually neutral fans at the match. And funny enough, I'm slightly digressing, but quick in for the, um, they actually did a report on that match back in 2019. And the reporter went to Northampton and they struggled to find anybody linked to the club in Northampton had actually seen the match because <laughs> They did find someone and he said it was like it was a sea. I remember it, it was a sea of Pakistan and Bangladesh flags. The atmosphere was incredible. It was like, you know, closest I've ever been to and sort of been in South Asia watching a cricket match. And the um, Bangladeshis played incredibly well. There were three Pakistani runouts on the day, <laughs> um, but Inzamal Hat was playing. And actually, on that, that team was had Saeed Anwar, Shahid Afridi, Inzamal, and their bowling attack. For um, Pakistan on the day was Sakhalin Mushtaq, Razam Akram, Raka Yunus, and Shoab Akhtar. So it really was, all things considered, a shock. But it, I think because Pakistan batted first and scored so such a low score that even the Pakistan bowlers of the day couldn't really t- turn it around. Um, and the, I was from a slight disappointment was it's not the biggest upset of all time because apparently that South Africa winning in Melbourne in 1952, which has an upset index of 68 so it just pips Pakistan <laughs> Bangladesh but if anybody in lockdown is at loose end it's a good couple of hours of going through going through all of that I think that might be quite a loose end for me to want to um <laughs> go back to that Tim but thank you and that is a great article and there's a bunch of other games that were very close on there uh, and a great way to kind of um frame that because you do say well that was a big upset I don't know uh, Netherlands beating England in 2008, nine. I can't remember that was exactly. And everyone says that was an upset, but it's nice to have some kind of um, grade of it all. So yeah, uh, we'll link that on our Twitter at CalCorner8 if you want to give us a follow. Plenty of good stuff on there. Right, let's get stuck into this series review then, boys. Um, New Zealand versus Pakistan. 
two test matches. Um, Glenn waxed lyrical about the first test on, a, on an earlier <laughs> part. I've never seen a man so enthused by a test match before. Um, New Zealand won that one by 101 runs. Um, that doesn't really tell half the story, though. Uh, a great test match that went down to the literally the last few overs. Um, Mitch Sandler getting the, the final wicket there. Uh, New Zealand's 431 in the first innings put them um, on top. Pakistan replied with 239. New Zealand 180 for five declared to set up a score. And they eventually uh, bowled Pakistan out in 123.3 overs. There really wasn't that much time left in the game. We'll come on to the sort of stars from that game. You know, Kane Williamson and Kyle Jamieson obviously coming out of New Zealand as, as um, having a great series. Uh, and the second test, which finished on January the 6th, was over in Christchurch. New Zealand put a mammoth 659 for six declared. Uh, Pakistan never got close. 297 and 186. New Zealand winning by a mammoth. Innings and 176 runs. That's a that's a big boy, that one, isn't it? Um, and that test, um, despite some great stories coming out of it from individuals from New Zealand, perhaps wasn't one uh, for the neutral or for any spectator, really, unless you like watching Kane Williamson bat, which is a lot of us. And I'm going to come on to him to start, Glenn. Um, now the number one batsman in the world, test batsman in the world, uh, men's test batsman in the world. And his average for a moment uh, before he got out in his in his double hundred, career average got above Tendulkar and Cody. So I think it was 50, low 54s, high 53s. Um, gosh, I don't know what to ask about him really because he's just so good. Just describe how you like watching him bat and and how good he is. And not just in home conditions. I want to put that down in this pod that um, people think he's just great in New Zealand, but he's just a great test match batsman. Test match batsman. Yeah, I mean, he's just in unbelievable form right now. Um, you know, just looking at his averages in tests over the last four years, 2017, he had a very good average of 62. Um, 2018, average of 59. 2019, it dropped a little bit, still exceptional at 51. And then you come to last year, you come to 2020, he has an average across tests of 83, including 200s in that time. I mean, that kind of average... You know, it's exceptional, but it doesn't really speak to the, you know, the quality of watching him bat. I think that's something that all of us who have watched um, a lot of this test series have noticed. Like, he's very patient, but at the same time, he's never afraid to go on the attack if it's needed. He always looks so assured at the crease. Um, and what I love about him is he forms great partnerships with um with other players um you know the partnership between him and Nichols um uh in that mammoth innings at Christchurch is the third um, biggest partnership um for New Zealand batsmen in a test against Pakistan ever you know these are these are big big figures and he just looks so calm at the crease I mean he's just um always there he never looks flustered no matter what the game situation is as you mentioned Dan he does it away from home as well as in home conditions he's also a brilliant captain I think that's worth noting. And honestly, listening to him talk in the I watched both the press post-match conferences um, just on the pitch after the first and second test. And he's very humble. I mean, it's it's an interesting contrast to, to watching Australia, um, uh, you know, kind of like this good cop, bad cop between New Zealand, and Australia, because, um, yeah, he was so supportive of Pakistan, especially after that first test, which, um, you know, came down to the wire when it had no right to. New Zealand were in the ascendancy until that final final innings. And he just spoke so highly of Pakistan, you know, thanking them for coming over, thanking them for such a fantastic competitive game. So not only is he a brilliant batsman, unlike others, you know, some Australians come to mind, he's also an incredibly likable person. And I feel like his energy um, really kind of 
spreads out to the entire team. And I think it's a very likable New Zealand team. They're great to watch and they seem like a really great bunch of players. So, yeah, tick, tick, tick. I mean, it's really impressive uh, all round for him right now. And I think with because um, we saw him playing in the World Cup um, at Taunton, playing against Afghanistan. So not strong opposition, but it was the way that he just measured it the chase it was yep. a, you know it was, it was a chase you'd expect them to make nine times out of ten with no problem but he just measured it to perfection and when i was watching him against the west indies this winter and he played so incredibly steadily and it approached a point where they were going to declare and suddenly he was hitting sixes all, all around the ground because when he needed to he could and with kane williamson i'm always amazed because he would pay for gloucestershire for quite a few summers and he was really, you know, he was a good, steady overseas player. But I feel like, where did he become Don Bradman? Where did, I, where did that <laughs> jump to that kind of status? But it's the fact that he's such an adaptable cricketer. He can play T20, he can play one on the eyes. He plays test cricket superbly. Um, I was just looking, in the matches he's played this sort of against West Indies and Pakistan, his average is 159 um, because he had one match off because he became a father. Then he came back after paternity leave and just carried on where he'd left off without even blinking. Um, and it is interesting because the only place where New Zealand and Kane Williamson ever find it hard is in Australia. And um, it is that kind of thing. That this is when I'm sort of looking at it because the series last winter, he, the, they, the whole team, New Zealand team struggled in the couple of tests they played in Australia. Um, partly it seems that it just have that a bit of a thing about Australia and they find it hard to get over um, and anyone want to guess what Kane Williamson's average against Australia was in the two tests they played last winter the one the ones they got absolutely battered in what yeah. did he average in them um, what's a bad average for him 35 <laughs> yeah 30 I was gonna say 30 yeah. he averaged 14 did he really yeah. well, there you yeah. go I mean that yeah. winter was an absolute battering for them wasn't it and um they kind of came, they've come off that well, but I'm surprised they have. Do you think? Do you think this team, if they went back to Australia now, Tim, would would still get the same kind of battering? I think not. I was I was really surprised last time, and I, I'd actually think a bit about this as to why. That, I think you know England had a hangover after the World Cup, and I think if you know as in they won it, they had a hangover. Um, I think Australia. I think potentially that group of players because they're testing their one day team are very you know they're really close the t20 switches up a bit with new zealand but the one day team and the test team there's only about two or three players really that switch and i just get the feeling that maybe it was just like they too much you know they it was i know it'd been if it was a few months earlier but i think maybe collectively that it was just a bit of a down at the time um, it was also, and to be fair to the New Zealanders, they, they did end up that series, uh, not that series of test matches, but that tour, they ended up playing in empty stadiums and then getting the plane out immediately because the coronavirus had picked up. So you don't quite, and that was around, you know, so you, you, I think there were factors there. But I think, yes, they, I think if they went back now, I think even if they played it a year later, I think they'd perform much more strongly. I think it's a real blip for that group of players. 
Yeah, just to, just to hop in real quick. So just a, a, a quick correction on the, on the stat earlier. So this was um, the, the partnership between Williamson and Nichols, um, an incredible 369. That was the third highest in their history as New Zealand, and their highest against um, their highest against Pakistan. There's so many stats coming out of that partnership. I was just it was just a case of juggling them all. But one one stat, especially in relevance to the to the great points that Tim just made. So New Zealand are the number one test team in the world right now. Fantastic stuff. They're also on two record-breaking runs. They've won six consecutive tests for the first time ever, and this is pretty extraordinary. They are 17 unbeaten at home. 17 test matches unbeaten at home. I mean, that speaks volumes. Um, and something that I noticed, that I'm sure we can get onto in a moment, um, is just the formidability, the, the you know, the formidable nature of of their bowling attack at home. You know, it, it's becoming such a benefit for them these conditions and their bowlers in my mind i was likening it, likening it to england at home those conditions for our seamers i feel like their bowling attack right now is that strong that you can, can you can compare those home advantages um, almost on an equal playing field so i think that's something that's really important they're firing on both cylinders they're brilliant form their captain's batting out of his skin and their bowling attack is just unbelievable it really is I I think that's a, that's such a good point about their conditions at home, and I I don't think that's something that should be. I think it should not be a negative thing because the, the kind of teams that go over there, you know, um, Pakistan have got a great seam attack, England got a great seam attack, and they don't seem to do that well out there, anyway. Um, Tim, I don't know if you want to talk about New Zealand have gone to the top of the Test rankings now. Um, with the series win against West Indies and the series win against Pakistan, I read a great article saying um, not all nice guys have to come second. And they are the nice guys, as Glenn said, about Kane Williamson's character that kind of ebbs through that team. Um, how big is this achievement for New Zealand cricket to go number one in the world? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's an incredible achievement. Um, they only won their first series in 1969. And it, as, a, as, a, as a cricketing nation, they've always been underrated. There's a, there was a great quote, which I must admit I found. It was uh, Jared Kimber who put it on, on Twitter. But he put, when they won their first series in 1969, the, the New Zealand administrators, this was his quote, it's a pity this side hasn't got greater recognition. Well, you think that's kind of OK, fine. But then he says, perhaps their achievements are overshadowed by other world events at the time, like men walking on the moon, the Vietnam War and Woodstock. <laughs> Which I suppose is probably fair enough, because I think, you know, across your GCSEs, you might come across the moon landings, the Vietnam War would stop, but potentially Pakistan, um, winning a test series in Pakistan might not for New Zealand come up there. <laughs> but it's the, we're always the underdogs. And even even when we, even when we do well, people still underrate us. Australia didn't take them seriously as a test playing nation. The, they played, the first time they played them was sort of the 1950s. They won easily and then didn't play them for another 10 years because they didn't have to. Um, so they, I think they kind of yeah, feel like that even when they've done you know, for a small country of five million people, it's incredible, really. Where unlike India or Pakistan or Sri Lanka, maybe Sri Lanka is a good example, a very small country, but where cricket is the number one sport. It's not the number one sport in New Zealand. It's rugby. Um, and it's only really been professional cricket in New Zealand for the last perhaps semi-decent level professional for the last 20 years. There was, um, they've had some great players like Glenn Turner, who was a fantastic batsman. I mean, one of the best in the world at the time, an opening batsman. But he was like the only player of quality 
And he became very frustrated and then he kind of based himself played for Worcestershire for years. Mm-hmm. And of course, Richard Hadley, at the time he played, there's always the famous quote from Graham Gooch when he said it was like facing the best bowler in the world at one end and Ilford second 11 at the other end. Which <laughs> just kind of, this is like, you know, this is the 1980s into the 90s where, again, kind of quite disparaging, really. If you, think, you know, it's fair. It was obviously Gooch being funny, which is unusual in itself. Um, <laughs> but it's quite... But it's quite that kind of that. I think that's the thing that they always kind of looked on as this kind of really tiny country. So actually, the fact they are, you know, number one in the world is really an incredible achievement for them. And yeah, okay, we just we've been talking about they played a lot of matches, you know, at home. However, you know, at the moment, lots of countries are playing most of their matches at home. It, it's it's kind of you've got to do what you've got to do. And if you've got a fantastic record at home, I don't think anyone can argue with that. And yeah, I mean, just absolutely brilliant achievement for them as a country. And I think it's really deserved because really, going back to that World Cup final, they were so unlucky, really. You know, if, if, if we'd spun that round, we'd be absolutely gutted if England lost in that, in the way, they, the way that it played out, basically. And they've come back from that to be world number one. I think it's just fantastic. I think as Englishmen, we're all happy to accept that now. A, a year or so yes. on, we're like, yeah, it was kind of unlucky. I think at the time, we we're like, nope, nope, that was perfectly well achieved by England. Um, big part of the reason why New Zealand have gone to number one, especially over these last few games, is Kyle Jameson. I mean, they've found one there, haven't they? Um, the big bowler. I don't know how tall he is. You'll like him, Glenn. You like big, tall bowlers, don't you? I, I know. He is the tallest um, uh, bowler to ever play for New Zealand, and he's six foot eight. Six eight, there you go. Okay, he's had he had a stellar series. I mean, let's just talk about the second test. He took an eleven for six for forty eight in the second test. Um, his average to left-handers is a fascinating one. Now we thought Stuart Broad was amazing against left-handers, but Jameson seems to have um, a liking to them. Uh, averages eight point six against left-handers. That's um, from thirteen wickets, um, thirty six wickets from his six tests at thirteen point two. He currently holds the third best bowling average in test history for bowlers with a minimum of 12 innings. Um, he saw, it's all gone under the radar and he came out of New Zealand cricket a bit slower than your Saudis and your Bolts did. They didn't they didn't jump him straight in and that seems to have helped. And he went along quietly for his first two or three tests. And now, obviously, bang, he's on the world stage. Glenn, um, describe him a little bit because he's not a fast bowler. At 6'8", you thought he'd be whacking in 150, but he's not. Um, describe how he bowls and how good he really is. He has just been wonderful with these two tests. And it's funny you say he went under the radar because um, uh, Danal Rashul, writing for ESPN, said, So little is known about Jameson outside New Zealand that cricket's equivalent of the CIA might well be maintaining a dossier on him. So <laughs> it's quite funny that nobody really does know. He's kind of, he feels like he's come out of nowhere. He is yeah. 25, so he's in that sweet spot where he's not old. He's not, you know, he's not a teenager. Obviously, the the Pakistan attack was very much in that young kind of um, age group, whereas the New Zealand attack, for the most part, were a, a bit older. But yet, Jamison himself, you know, you throw out some stats that were excellent. And it's worth pointing out, he's got four fifers in six tests. Um, and no New Zealand bowler in history has taken more wickets in their first six test matches than Jamison. So, I mean, it's dominant stats. And the, the, again, same as Williamson, the stats say one thing. Sitting down and watching a spell of him bowling for six overs is another. He's fearsome. Um, I think it's, yeah, obviously he's incredibly tall, but I think you're right to point out that, he, you know, he isn't the quickest in the world, but 
you know, these New Zealand pitches, they, they can vary. They, some of them can bounce. Some of them can be a little bit greener, as, as, as we've seen. Um, but he just always he always gets something out of the pitch. I think he always gets a bit of nip. Um, and I'd be very, very excited to see what he could do in England. I think he'd be very in, uh, interesting watching him in English conditions because he moves the ball around a lot. And he just there seems to be from the test matches I've seen, you know, comparing it to the India Australia Jameson seems to have one unplayable ball in his arsenal every two, three overs. Just that, instead of every spell, it's every couple of overs. And I mean, you've seen a couple of dismissals, um, one to Fawad Alam, sticks in mind, absolute snorter. I think, you know, it's a short delivery, but it just rears up and he's trying to get out of the way, hits him on the glove, you know, caught it gully or wherever it was. Uh, you know, of all the, honestly, of all the bowlers in the world right now, in a test match, I can't think of who I'd want to face less. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, perhaps your Stark is quite lethal, your Cummings, but in the form he's in, Jameson is just fantastic. And to be perfectly honest, um, Williamson batted Pakistan out of the game in that second test, and Jameson bowled them out. They were yeah. the two stars. They were the were the dominant forces. And yeah, I mean the stats speak for themselves. But if you if you if you're listening to this and you haven't settled down to to watch him, I, I can't recommend it enough because he's just a, he's got a beautiful technique for a big guy. He bowls very naturally. It doesn't seem forced. You know, for example, the Overton brothers in England, Jamie especially, has had a few issues with you know you know coming in and hitting the ground too hard and getting injuries. Whereas hopefully, if Jameson can stay injury free. I mean, he's going to be a terror for every team they play in the next couple of years. He's he's just definitely worth watching a spell of. I think you make a great point in that. And that he has got a couple of wow deliveries. And the one to a uh, friend of the pod, Farad Alam, is the standout one from this series. It was it was unbelievable. But he can get wickets in so many different ways. Whereas some bowlers get their wickets in certain ways and they do it very well. Um, I felt like Jameson could um, bowl a Yorker a snorting short ball uh it's one that nips in one that nips away swings in swings away he, he could get wickets in any ways and that's why i think he's going to be so useful for new zealand for a long time in all conditions now he's not played abroad yet um so i read a, i read a piece saying his average is only going to get worse this is this is you know great numbers right now but it can only get worse from here sorry kyle but he's not played abroad yet but on my point there tim about the way he can get wickets in so many different ways um, he's a big lad. He just sort of glide in. But Jason Holdery, you know, big guy, doesn't you know, bowls it kind of high seventies, low eighties. Do you do you think he's going to do well abroad? And and how, you know, how useful could he be for this uh, New Zealand side in the subcontinent or in England? Yeah, I th- think he can do well. And I think also going back to the tour of Australia that New Zealand had, the the, the problem they probably had in a way was that Bolton Southie are incredibly talented bowlers, but it's a bit like when Anderson and Ball go to Australia sometimes, where there's no help from the pitch. Um, They haven't quite just got that pace to perhaps trouble the Australian batsman in those conditions. But Jameson's got something very different because he's got the height. And Australian pitches, for example, is going to bounce. And that's going to be a problem for batters wherever you play. So I could imagine going to Australia, it's not going to be his pace, but it's going to be the variety we've talked about, the angle he's able to produce um, and the bounce that he gets. I can see that being a real problem in Australia. Um, I think, obviously, England, I would have thought he'd be absolutely devastating potentially. Yeah. I think he would be very worried about facing him if he was in anything approaching the form he's shown in these first few matches playing in England. 
Um, clearly, if you're going into the subcontinent, that's always tricky for sort of kind of pace bowlers from the, um, you know, the New Zealand, Australia, England. It's always tricky playing in those conditions. But I still think he'd get, you know, he would get the most out of the conditions. I can see him succeeding perhaps ahead of, you know, again, Bolton Southie, who great bowlers though they are, perhaps aren't quite as adaptable and haven't got the same variety of kind of weapons that he has in, in what he can do and produce. And obviously we're talking about massively. He's played six tests. He's been incredible. Um, and I guess you, you can't be sure but on what we've seen so far, you'd have to say he's an amazing talent. And he, as has been mentioned, the fact that he's come through at that age is probably a good thing because it's enabled his body to be kind of resilient, built up to the challenge because he didn't seem to. He's played six tests quite. He's come into the test matches. He's played six tests really quickly, which often for bowlers coming into the test matches, however good they are, if you play that number that quickly, we've seen it with experienced bowlers for England. They've really struggled through this sort of compacted summer to manage to play every single match. And he's come through old six in a row and he didn't seem to be phased at all. And he's he's sort of useful with the bat as well. I think his test average is in the fifties still, maybe the forties. That is because of a few not outs and he can kind of swing the bat, you know, what is he bat at? Eight or nine. So mm-hmm. I mean another um string to his bow. I'm struggling, I think you mentioned it again, of what more to say about New Zealand because this test series was so dominated by Williamson and Jameson. I mean, a shout out to Daryl Mitchell, um, his uh, maiden century. He bowled quite usefully as well. New Zealand are great at producing these medium pace dibbly dobblers who can get a Jaffra out of nowhere. Colin de Grondheim, I'm thinking of, who tortured us in that World Cup final in 2019. Um, he he got himself 100. Um, Henry Nichols as well, middle order batsman, 157 in that in that partnership you mentioned, Glenn. I mean, anyone else you want to mention from that? New Zealand side deserves oh. a shout out because it has just been dominated by by two men uh, this series in particular. I think Neil Wagner playing on with a broken foot. I mean, what more? What more can you ask for? In any other Test series, that would still be among the headlines. It, you know, he, he literally broken toes. He carried on. He's a fast bowler. It's not as if he's you know bowling off spin. He's he's running in and he's still bowling and. Just want to look at the you know the averages of New Zealand bowlers um, in Tests since May 2017. Southie's got 98 wickets, average of 22. Bolt, who hasn't been at his best in recent months, I think it's fair to say, he's still got 91 wickets and average of 26. And then Wagner, who I really liked watching in that first Test, um, has got 89 wickets and average of 22. So again, this is a bowling unit that is consistent, that is absolutely dominant at home. And yeah, I mean, I think you're spot on. I think we we could and we are just focusing on Jameson and Williamson because these are, you know, world-class stats for them. But they just feel like a team. And it's something I kind of touched on at the start. There doesn't really feel like a weak link. As you said, we've got a maiden centurion. We've got a record-breaking middle-order stand. We've got everybody chipping in with wickets. Um, it's not as if Jameson got everyone out all the time. Everybody kind of dropped in with spells. And... I'm struggling to think of a, a, you know, a more balanced. It's a word that we love on this podcast. I think it's a really balanced team and I'm so impressed. And it was honestly, it was the first time I've settled down to watch New Zealand play a test in, in quite a quite a while, to be honest. And I was blown away. I think they're the real deal right now. And as Tim mentioned, they're deservedly number one in the world. And I think also it, it, it was a series where everything went. It just pretty easy. I mean, 
Santner didn't bowl well in the first test. Yep. And I went to bed thinking, oh, he should, you know, he's just not bowling well. I wake up and he's won the match. (laughs) (laughs) And he's done that. But then I think, so they drop him for the next match. That's a little bit harsh because he did, you know, he came back. So the guy they bring in, Daryl Mitchell, because it was that was Hatter's replacement for Santa, they decided to go with no frontline spinner. Um, and he comes in, scores 100, bowls really well. Um, they've got no frontline spinner, so Williamson bowls, hates bowling himself, but bowled himself. <laughs> um, and Brendan McCullum was talking about that, and he's saying he should bowl himself more. He said, I bowled him quite regularly, but he doesn't really rate his own bowling. He's better than he thinks he is himself. So as captain, of course, he doesn't bowl himself as much. He came on, got a wicket. Um, and yeah, you just think it was a series. It was some exceptional individual performances. It was a fantastic team performance, and it's just one of those kind of golden periods where there were the four matches against Windies and then Pakistan. Everything, everything came off. Can we? I, I, I totally agree. But do you think that chink in the armor is this frontline spinner? Um, so if it isn't going to be Santner, who I saw, I think I saw all of his bowling in that first test, and he really struggled. He couldn't find his length. I think he had an injury, potentially. He, he had a knock on his hand, which he hated towards the end. So they were reluctant to bowl him. We, we, we were all hoping that he was going to, or you know, even as neutrals, like he was looking to spin Pakistan out of the game. And yeah, you're spot on. He did get the winning wicket. It was you know, a great court and bowl, but he just didn't look consistent. And the and the the comms were pretty pretty harsh on him, I thought. They, they were pointing out his shortfalls. Who are we looking at to fill that spot? You know, if they're playing in... The subcontinent, if they're playing in India, um, whether it's Bangladesh, wherever it is, they're going to need a, a proper world-class spinner. Do they have one of them? No, I, I think that is a great point, Glenn, to just sort of, you know, bring New Zealand down a little bit here for all the New Zealanders listening. You're great. Don't get us wrong. <laughs> but let, listen, let's look at a few points. Um, yeah, and I, Santa Flo's been around for a while now. and He's not quite kicked on from what we all thought he could be. The next Dan Vittori, I guess, was the obvious um, comparison. His batting's okay at best, and... I didn't see any of his bowling, so I'm interested he didn't, he didn't bowl too well, perhaps with an injury. So, I mean, since Dan Vittori, who have they had? That that Craig Feller, I can't remember his first name, who was a, a daft off spinner. Um, Ish Shodi was okay. Um, Jeet and Patel for a while. They haven't. Re- they don't produce spinners anyway. I, I don't know any coming through, by the way, before I try and finish his point, because they don't need one at home, as, we, as you can tell. But yeah, when they do go away... Can anyone come in? Can Santner do that job? Should Williamson bowl himself more is a great question. And then perhaps at the top of the order, I think Tom um, Blundell hasn't got himself cemented yet in that place. And I think there's a lot of change, shopping and changing of who uh, accompanies Tom Latham at the top of the order. So perhaps those are the two places we could look for New Zealand that, that aren't quite as solid. I think especially playing in the subcontinent, that would be a huge hole. Well, this is it's it's a funny is because again it's how how things run over history because that's because I guess that's been an issue really for New Zealand cricket because Jeetan Patel's dad Deepak Patel um, grew up Birmingham played for Warwickshire and he emigrated to New Zealand because there was a sort of a, a kind of reaching out to him to say look we need a spinner and he actually <laughs> emigrated to New Zealand that's how Jeetan ended up being a New Zealand player because his dad was <laughs> New Zealand wanted a spinner and they kind of. He, he basically went over and he knew he had a good chance of playing international cricket, which he did. Um, and then his son followed in his footsteps. So in a way, the lack of a um, frontline New Zealand spinner is kind of through the ages. And if you think of um, bowlers like Chris Cairns, Richard Hadley, it's always fast, this sort of fast medium. That's what they absolutely kind of excel in. Um, and spinners, not so much. And really, Vittori was kind of the exception. 
rather than the norm for New Zealand spinners on the whole. Yeah, and I think it's just going to be something they, they they need to look at. There might be some coming through the wings that we don't know about. I don't follow New Zealand grey cricket too uh, closely at the minute. Anyway, maybe I will soon. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely definitely something to look at. Glenn, any, any more thoughts on this New Zealand side? We, we must move on to Pakistan soon. There was another team playing in this series. Yes, and, um, I think we've, uh, New Zealand's heads are going to be big enough after this pod. Um, yeah, just, just um, talking about Victoria, it just makes me think... They've had a fantastic run of captains, just to wrap up this segment. Stephen Fleming, Daniel Vittori, Brendan McCollum, into Williamson now. Um, I, I think those captains have really provided stability for this team, and we've we've seen that growth. Um, Vittori, obviously, because we were on this spin question, absolutely, Tim. You know, he is he was he's their, been their most successful spinner in, in, in contemporary times. Um, and it's interesting, they do produce a lot of left-arm orthodoxes. That seems to be their kind of stock bowler. Um and there doesn't seem to be any consistent emergence of any, you know, wrist spinner. Um, and I think, yeah, we don't have the answer, as is often the case on Cal Corner. But I think it's something to keep in our minds. And I like to tell you how you how you put it down. You know, they've got a lot of strengths. They're very good at home. Um, clearly, they they had the opportunity to to switch out a spinner for another pace bowler, and it worked to brilliant effect. But they won't have that luxury in their next tour away from home, and it's something to keep a tab on. I think. Yeah, definitely. And uh, as good as this team is, you know, th- there's a few things in there. Perhaps even, you know, when they lose Wagner, is Matt Henry up to it? He he's okay. You know, what's their depth mm-hmm. like in that scene bowling? I, I don't want to be a bit Anderson abroad about this, but how old is Tim Southey now? You know, he's been around for a lifetime. He got his 300th wicket in this series actually, so he's probably got plenty more time. So a few things to look at, but yeah, all good from New Zealand and um, Williamson and Jameson, absolutely outstanding. Let's move on to Pakistan, the tourists. <laughs> To, I just I just wrote down we're below par in all departments. We could probably end it there because, you know, we don't go too deep into this. They were missing Babar Azam, um, who got a knock in the nets before the T20 series started. So, um, they're missing their captain and their best batsman. Um, Rizwan Mohammad Rizwan came in to kind of deputise for him. Tim, what what did you think to Rizwan as a captain? Um, and anything Pakistan can take away from this series to kind of work on for the future? I think Rizwan as a captain did a, a perfectly fine job. Um, I think it's hard to judge him too much. Um, we were maybe mentioned before came on air about Lahani stepping in was a revelation um, in the first match after replacing Kohli because he was quite innovative and changed things around and did things that Kohli wouldn't have done. Um, I think Rizwan did really see himself as a kind of on the real stand in here. I think also to be fair to Rizwan, it was right up until the eve of the second test, they were hoping that Babo Zaman would be fit. So Rizwan didn't really know. He thought, you know, realistically in that first test, he probably thought he'd be captain for one test. He's probably hoping he would be. Um, and he probably only found out for definite that he would be captain in the second test, perhaps a day before, because they were desperate for Babo Zaman to be back. I think he did not. I think he did fine. It was one of those captaincies that, was reminded a bit, a bit of Alistair Cook that he kind of did everything by the by the numbers. It was everything was kind of what you'd expect. There weren't any surprises. Um, but to be fair to him, his team basically took a bit of a battering, and you know the New Zealand batsmen were so in control. I'm not quite sure that he could have done much more in terms of his keeping. He did fine. Probably kept a little better in England. I think. I think he stood out his keeping more in England. Perhaps it was the captaincy on his mind that kind of put him off a bit. He didn't make any awful mistakes, but I felt he was a bit sharper, a bit more proactive. His, his keeping in England in the summer. 
Um, and I think really, um, in, in terms of his batting, he, he, at least that kept up. At least he actually batted fairly well. He didn't he didn't get you know, massive scores, but I think within the context of how compared to the rest of his teammates, I thought he did did pretty well really. In in the bowling department, um, 659 for six declared um, was that's just damning. A 431 in that as well, and then 180 for five. New Zealand were trying to set them a score, so I mean nothing stood out in that, did it? I think Shaheen Shah Freedy had a couple of nice looking spells, and I think as a a good left arm fast in New Zealand, he looked great for periods. Um, and Glenn, do you want to talk about Mohammed Abbas, who's who's really struggled since he kind of shot onto the test scene somewhat like um, Carl Jameson did, but this was a, a while ago now for Abbas. He's really struggled and doesn't quite look as effective as he as he has previously. Absolutely, yeah. So he's still hitting good areas. Um, that's something to note. And he still aesthetically looks really good when he's bowling. The problem is that he's stopped getting wickets. So <laughs> um, in his first 12 tests, um, he got a brilliant 34 wickets, very impressive start to his career. Unfortunately, in his last 11 tests, he's only hit 15, so less than half. Really importantly, his average has tripled. Um, in those first 12 tests, his average was a Ooh. wonderful 11. He wasn't going to keep that up, don't get me wrong. But it's over tripled. It's it's 36 now, his average. So he's he's really struggling. I think it's worth noting that no um, Pakistan bowler in either test got a fifer. The closest um, was four wickets in that first in that first game um, for Shaheen. I think that was. Yeah. So he looked good. And I think it was really difficult because obviously these weren't conditions that Pakistan are necessarily used to. And I think, to be honest, even in the face of these mammoth scores, I think they, they bowled reasonably well. I Actually watching it, I don't think they bowled badly. I think they had a plan. They stuck to it. But where they failed was certainly in the field. So in that second test in Christchurch, um, they dropped more catches than they took. Um, they missed oh. eight. They missed eight chances, some of them half chances, but some of them very straightforward. And they also leaked over 50 extras. So they were exceedingly sloppy in the field. And this was the frustrating thing because I think they were very disciplined as a bowling unit and I don't think anyone performed particularly badly. I think, again, they're a pretty good unit. And I think at home they will do damage to a lot of touring teams. Away from home, clearly less so. And as you rightly mentioned, Dan, uh, New Zealand put on some mammoth scores um, and declared twice over. They declared once per test, which is never a good sign for any for any bowling team, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, and it's it says a lot. They haven't beaten New Zealand in a test for a decade um which is a long time but what I, I something i will note is that they are playing south africa at home in three weeks that's their next test series so i think um i think time difference for me in wyoming is very difficult to watch that but i will be keeping uh keeping track of the scores on that and i would love us hopefully you know get another pod on that the three of us and really compare the bowling unit especially the batting i think they were good rizwan was exceptional he was he was counter-attacking he could still get his head down um, obviously, Farad Alam got that hundred years later. Got his second <laughs> Test hundred. It meant everything to him. We love him on this pod. Um, I think they need a big win at home against South Africa, um, and I think they'll be back on track. I think they were unfortunate. Um, all I would say is their top order failed. Um, batting, batting wise, Pakistan looked very brittle at the top exemplified by both their openers getting out for a duck um, in the second innings of that first test. So something to work on is their batting high up the order. Um, Masood struggled immensely in this series, um, but their bowling I liked. And I think the stats do them a disservice because I think they were very, 
very disciplined as a bowling unit and very unfortunate to come up against one of the best batsmen in history at the minute. He's he's making himself Williamson. And I think with the bowling, I think I think they were really disciplined, and I think that they're quite a year, well, they are a very young bowling attack, mm-hmm. and they they didn't give away many bad balls. But they gave away enough that New Zealand could buy their time. And comparing yeah. that to watching um, India playing Australia, where India came in Rahani and Pujara with that mindset of, right, we're just going to stay in there. We're going to wait for the bowlers to tire a little and start picking it off. Well, Australia this morning did not give them a thing. There was, there was nothing. And the Pakistan bowlers, they did bowl really well, but there was always the occasional poor ball. There was occasional ones that went flying over the wicketkeeper's head because, you know, and it, um, such so Shannon Shawfrey, I think, did that a couple of times in the space of a couple of overs. And you think that's just a little bit of lack of experience because yep. you've done it once, and okay, you know, you're trying to be, you're trying to bowl a bouncer and be attacking, but you're giving away runs here, and it's just that. Whereas Southie and Bolt, even if they didn't take wickets, would keep it really tight. Um, and with the batting, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Azar Ali um, had lost the captaincy to Babur Zam, and much as I love. Didn't play. He did. He was. He was brilliant playing for Somerset. But you kind of think, and he did. He's actually comparatively, he did okay compared to his teammates in this test. But you know, he's got his 93. He's really unlucky not to get 100. He probably deserved the 100. But you think he's been kind of dropped his captain. His form in the last sort of few months hasn't been great. But there's obviously nobody pushing him out out of the team. It seems like. Um, so that's how. Bristol there, but with their batting, they can't afford to take Azarelli out, even though he's not, you know, at the peak of his kind of form. So I think, and the the uh, and just I don't know if I have if I, if I jumped ahead. I'm, I apologise, but Shan Masood, oh my goodness, ten zero zero zero. I actually felt quite sorry for him, I thought, because he just did. He, he did get a couple of really good balls and you just think well, what are you going to do but it was a horrible test series for him one of them was a 25 ball duck as well I think when they were trying to hang on before the end of close as well and that you just thought I, I, I agree with you Tim I just felt a bit sorry for him because we saw how good he was in that one knock in England this summer and he's definitely got it I think you make a great point about Pakistan with the the, the fact that even if there was an next batsman coming off the block it, Ali wouldn't be touched, would he? Because you've got Harris ahead on a pretty miserable tour. Shah Massoud had a pretty miserable tour. So even if they did have loads of depth in batting, Ali still would be in there. And rightly said, he's not in the greatest form at the minute. I agree. And I just want to note that Fahim did really well, lower down the order. The first test could have been another rollover. And he came in with a with a swashbuckling 91 um, in tandem with Rizwan. And then he still came through with runs. He was very unlucky not to get 50. He got 48 in the first innings in that second test. So if you if you know if you take Fahim out of the picture, there's not many runs around this side. I think I think the batting, I think personally I'm more worried about their batting unit than I am about the bowling. Bowling, I think you're spot on. They're young, they've got stuff to learn, but I think they, they know what they're doing. The batting worries me, and I think again, home conditions, there's gonna be pressure on them because they've they've basically failed away from home over both tests to mount a seriously big score. And yeah, I think um, you know, only only um, Rizwan was consistent across the two tests because um, even Fayad Alam struggled in that second test at Christchurch. So, yeah, a, a lot to improve on. Um, definitely not a lost cause or like, you know, a, a complete disaster. I think the, 
yeah, the, the, the stats look worse than perhaps they were. But I mean, Masood, there's, there's, there's no escaping three ducks in four innings. That's just that's night and day. It'll be so interesting to see if he keeps his place for that that um, home series against Pakistan, uh, against South Africa. I think you've set that really nicely again, actually. I think that's a, a really good looking series for South Africa, who just rolled Sri Lanka, half a Sri Lanka side, who, who are in a lot of trouble at the minute, sort of um, uh, the top end and, and the teams in transition as well versus a Pakistan side coming off a battering in New Zealand, who got a really weak batting lineup, but a good bowling lineup at, in home home as well in Pakistan, not in the UAE. So that's going to be a really exciting series, a, a good setup for that. And yeah, I think if we, you know, if we were glowing about New Zealand and, and kind of pin that back with the Santner issue, let, let's look at Pakistan in, in a slightly more positive light in that they were in that first test right to the end. Great fight, a gritty team um, that, that aren't rolling over like Pakistan of old, you know, from the, the late 2000s. They're really hanging in there. Um, and they, they could have drawn that test. And and, and I think we've, we've kind of done there that the bottom line does look good and it's solid and it's young and it's aggressive and... Uh, I hope they can do well again. I think that series against South Africa is really nicely set up. Um, so do watch that if you can. I'm not sure what the UK TV rights will be for that. We very uh, Pakistan not been at home for such a long time that I can't remember who often gets those. But um, we will see. Any more points, gents, before we wrap this up? Anyone you want to mention? I think you know we've had Sharma Sood there, Abbas. Anybody else? No, I think, but I think going back, I think going to South Africa, I have watched quite a bit of South Africa, Sri Lanka, and although South Africa thumped Sri Lanka, it did flatter them a bit because, in fact, the South Africa were a little bit inconsistent. They got a very um, inexperienced bowling attack themselves. The batting, okay, Duplessis got a double century. Ducott, you know, is a fantastic batsman. Um, Aidan Markham seems to be coming good, and Dean Elgar, you know, is pretty solid and exciting you know, and spectacular. Um, so I think that be a, that, I think that will be a good a good series. I think it will be um, one where I'd actually give Pakistan a reasonable chance in in their home conditions. Um, and I think really Pakistan actually probably can take something from this. It, they can probably take more than you think from looking at the two 0 and the fact that you know, the heavy run scoring against them. I think they can take a little bit more from that than perhaps you might think from just looking at the, the scorecards. Yeah, I agree. And just for, for listeners in England, that, that first test, it's a two-test series, so it re- really can be a great comparison point for this two-test series against New Zealand. Starts on January the 25th, and it will be starting at 5 a.m. Um, UK time will be the will be the start of play there. So not that bad, actually, if you if obviously, you know, test cricket going on. That will be most of the day, so most of the morning and lunchtime for, for fans who want to watch back in England. And yeah, um, if we do find out any information about the, the the screening rights for that, we'll pop it under we'll pop it under this um, this podcast in the thread on Twitter. A really nicely set up series, though, and I think um, that's going to be an exciting. One New Zealand aren't playing a lot of cricket at the minute. I don't think they I think they've got a a, a white ball tour of Australia coming up. Uh, I think once um, India uh, eventually leave Australia, if they get let out, as we mentioned at the start, who knows? <laughs> they might still be stuck there, still playing some cricket. Um, so I think that'll about wrap it up for this pod. Um, a great review there, boys. I really enjoyed that of a, of a great test series. And I think um, two exciting cricketing nations. Um, Glenn, thank you so much for joining us. I know Brentford are on again, so I'm sorry for taking up your time. It was still nil-nil last time I checked, though, mate. So all's well. Excellent. Our B team against Middlesbrough. I'll be keeping keeping a close eye on that. <laughs> And Tim, um, no Somerset to talk about this time, so hopefully less emotional. And hopefully we can have you on a bit quicker um, than the gap between your last two appearances. That would be lovely. Happy to talk cricket at any time.
Lovely. Thank you so much, guys. Um, we'll be back with a, a review of the third test between India and Australia and, of course, England playing Sri Lanka. Plenty of cricket coming up for you guys in January and we'll be here reviewing it all. Um, for now, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you soon. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.